Father in heaven, thank you again for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the Christmas season and the reminder that you are the giver of gifts. Thank you for all that we have been blessed with. Your Lord, as he brings the message this morning, that our hearts can be drawn towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Greetings to each one of you in Christ's precious name this morning. It's good to be here with you again today. For message today, I will be continuing the theme that started with devotions and talking about um, the upcoming Christmas season and, and what that means to us. Today, I want to, as I was thinking about this um, week or so ago, like thinking about what I should share the thought came to my mind, why did Jesus come? And so that's just what I want to look at this morning, and I'm by no means going to exhaust this topic. This is just a primer for you to think about as you go through the next few weeks and think about Christ, think about what he's done, and just to stir your thinking and what that means to, to all of us. As I was thinking about that, um, why did Jesus come? You know, the my mind went to Colossians 2, 6 through 8. In the New Living Translation, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You know, what an amazing testimony of humility and sacrifice. And so that really causes us to stop and think, why did Jesus leave his beautiful earthly home to come to a world like ours? Why did he die a criminal's death? And so that's what we want to look at a bit, at a bit briefly this morning. And so I'll be looking at four, four reasons Jesus came. And the first one I want to turn back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 3, and I'll be reading a few verses from Genesis 3. I'll be reading verses 13 through 19. And today I'll be reading quite a few Scriptures, so don't feel obligated to keep up. Um, I'm afraid if I wait too long, I'll, <laughs> you'll be sitting here for quite a while. So I'll, I'll try to keep moving through these scriptures. I just feel like it needs, I need some of these scriptures to tie all this together. And the first one will be, like I said, Genesis 3. I'll re read verses 13 to 19. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field upon thy belly thou shalt go, <clears throat> and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and unto thy conception and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth unto to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return 
unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. <clears throat> so the, the verse I want to focus in on in this scripture is verse 15. And this is the first promise we have of Jesus coming to, to earth as our Savior. And as we think about the beauty of creation in the garden where Adam and Eve lived, Satan was able to deceive them. He was able to persuade Eve to take of the fruit that God had, not, had told them not to eat of. And Eve fell into the trap that Satan sets for us into believing that what God provided for us is not good enough. And he caused her faith in God to be shaken. She thought she needed more. She needed more experience, more knowledge than what God had given them. And, you know, it's, it seems for some reason when we as humans are told to do something, we naturally just instinctively, we want to do it. And that reminded me of my days with Dundee Fire Department when we had a training session. They brought the medical helicopter in from Mercy Flight. And as the Mercy Flight personnel were showing us around the helicopter, they told us that there was this tiny little tube right beside the cockpit. They said, don't touch that. And... Um, you aviators probably know what that is. It's a little peanut tube, I think is what it's called. It's your wind indicator. It's your speed indicator. And they have a heating element in there because it can freeze up if it gets moisture in there that's caused planes to crash in the past. So they, it heats up, heaps at the air flowing through there. And she said, don't touch that or it'll get hot. And she said, sure enough, recently they had a person that, right after they said that, they reached out and touched it and it burnt them. And for some reason, that just seems what we as humans do. And we see that started with Eve in the garden. We see this tendency at work in Eve's life and it's passed down through the generations very well. And Adam and Eve showed us that living in a perfect world, we could still fall away from God. You know, I struggle with that sometimes in my life. If only it wasn't this way, or if only that wasn't the case, then I would be able to live in victory. Then I would have a better relationship with God. But we see here, Adam and Eve still fell away from God. He allowed her desire to take her away from God. And from Adam and Eve on, we as their descendants, we have felt the impact of Eve's choice that day, the choice she made in the garden. Adam and Eve, you know, now they had the experience, the knowledge of what it was like to have both good and evil in their lives. They had both experienced the goodness and perfection of God and now the shame and guilt of evil the separation from God and his goodness. Satan had introduced them to the sin, and now along with their descendants, they would struggle with good and evil. The separation from God in the separation from God and his goodness. But here, right from the start, God had a plan to rescue them and all of us who would come after them. And he would ultimately bring defeat upon Satan. Yet through God's plan, he promised he would inflict a wound upon Satan through Jesus. The wound upon Satan would be upon his head versus the wound on the foot of Christ. And I think this would, what this signifies is when we think about a head wound, that's a serious wound. You know, when you're in the medical field and, and you get an emergency call for a head wound, there's a lot of things that go into motion because of a head wound. If somebody calls in and said they has, you know, a broken toe or something, it's like, okay, we'll take our time. And I think that's what God is referring to here there was a serious wound was going to be inflicted upon satan through christ coming through to this earth 
In John 14, 30 to 31, following the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus spake these words. Then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. This was speaking about a voice they heard from heaven. The time for judging this world has come when, I, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Here Jesus was saying that his mission on earth was to cast, cast out the devil, Satan, and give all mankind the opportunity to return to him. So we're now presented with this choice. Are we going to choose life or are we going to choose death? And there's also coming a day when there will be eternal defeat for Satan. In Revelations 20, we read about this, how that Satan and all those who are deceived along with him will be thrown into the lake of fire. I'm grateful that God, he didn't give up on us, even though Eve chose to go against his will. Even though many times all of us have chosen to go against his will, he didn't give up on us, and he has given us a way to have victory over sin through Jesus coming to this world. The second reason that I want to look at briefly is Jesus came to establish his kingdom. In the Old Testament, we see many prophecies of Jesus coming to set up his everlasting kingdom. And the first one is in Samuel 7. I'm not going to turn to read all that. This is quite a lengthy chapter, but we have the account of David, and he had a desire to build a house for God. He wanted to build a house that was greater than the tabernacle that they had as they dwelt in the wilderness. Initially, the prophet Nathan, he gave his blessing to this idea, but later God spoke to him, and he revealed to Nathan that there was coming someone else later that would build an eternal house, a greater house, and that David was not to be the man to build this. And I believe these prophetic words revealed to Nathan God's um, desire in his heart. <clears throat> you know, if we look back in history before David, you know, Saul came before him, and then before that there was Judges. The people of Israel asked for kings. That was their idea. That wasn't God's idea. God wanted to be the king of the children of Israel. So here we, again we have an idea that was man's idea, to build a big house. And I think David, he had a good desire and he had a right desire, but in some ways it was maybe because of a guilty conscience. He looked at his own house and he said, I have a big fancy house and I want to build God a nice house too. But I think as we look throughout scripture, we see again and again, God doesn't want big things. He wants relationships with people. God's desire is for people, not things. And we see that as we look at this example of the temple. God was looking forward to a time when Jesus would come and he would set up his house and his temple in our hearts. You know, if we consider the way Jesus came to earth, the humility of Jesus is remarkable. He didn't come in a big, fancy temple or a big, um, you know, glamorous parade he came as a lowly child in a manger he was born in a barn probably with animals around instead of loving he had his parents there but there wasn't a lot of people to welcome him and so i think that is a picture of god's eternal kingdom he is desiring (coughs) simplicity and humility and he wants a relationship 
with each one of us and doesn't want things like a big um, shiny temple to distract us from our relationship with him. In um, Ephesians 2, uh, we see how that Jesus coming abolished the, way, the wall that separated the Gentiles from the, in the temple. <coughs> and so I think this was what God was looking forward to when we all, all humanity could come before him and be his house. In Galatians 3.28 is a beautiful scripture that describes this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, <coughs> excuse me, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, it, all, it talks about the prophets and the apostles were the foundation for this great house that was to come. <coughs> Sorry, I was kind of afraid this was going to happen. I'm struggling with a little bit of a sore throat. So if you ever have <clears throat> the opportunity, I would encourage you to study Ephesians 2. It's a beautiful passage of scripture as we see the God of hand moving through Jesus to bring peace and unity between people who had been divided before. Jesus can bring peace and <coughs> unity between people that once were divided and at odds with each other. God brings equality amongst all of us. God's house of believers brought together by the blood of Jesus created <coughs> excuse me, created something far more magnificent than that which was built by the hands of man. This house can't be corrupted as we see the temple being corrupted th by the Israelites throughout <coughs> history and the time of Jesus, but it's the pure and holy church of the saints. <coughs> I want to read Luke Read from Luke 1, verses 26 to 35 at this time. <coughs> sure, that'd be great. Thank you. If you could read Luke 1, 26 to 35. Also, that holy thing which 
shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. Okay. Do you mind reading <coughs> Matthew four twelve to seventeen? <coughs> Thanks, Ken. So here we see the angel Gabriel. She came and foretold, she gave Mary the news of Jesus' coming. And in verse 33 and 34, she tells Mary that this isn't going to be any ordinary child. He was to be the son of God, and he was to be a king, and that he was to be on the throne of David. This wasn't going to be any ordinary kingdom, but one that would never come to an end. It would be an everlasting kingdom. Kingdom, And, you know, for us, that's quite a contrast to the kingdoms that we see throughout history. Many of them have fallen. They don't have any everlasting kingdoms in this world. They all come and go. And then in Matthew 4, we see Jesus, once he started his ministry, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is now. The promise to King David many years before that through his lineage there will be an eternal kingdom is now being fulfilled. Jesus is our eternal king. Daniel also talks about in Daniel 9 where there would be coming a prince that would be coming as the Messiah. He would bring an end to the time of the temple, bring a destruction to the temple and the old ways and sacrifice. (coughs) And it's been beautiful to see in Hebrews how that Jesus... He's not only our king, but he's also our high priest and our, sa- and our perfect sacrifice. In Colossians 3, <coughs> 16 to 17, the Apostle Paul shows us that the Old Testament was just an introduction for us to Jesus. It was a foreshadowing. He uses the analogy of a shadow and how the Old Testament was just a shadow of the beauty of the things that come in the Messiah, Jesus you know, a shadow is not reality. It's if you're walking and your shadow is going before you, it's only um, a figure of you. It's not actually you. And that's how the Old Testament was for Jesus. It was a foreshadowing of who he was going to be and pointing to him. So the third part I want to... Uh, look at is he came to bring healing and I was going to read Isaiah 61 but I don't think that's a good idea still this morning many of you are familiar with Isaiah 61 where it talks about Jesus coming to heal the brokenhearted and and then in um, Luke 4 <coughs> maybe I could have a volunteer to read Luke, read Luke 4 16 to 21 somebody would want to read that for me Marv thanks you could read that. Yeah.
Thanks, Barb. <clears throat> so we see here, uh, we see Jesus referring back to this scripture in Isaiah 61, foretelling someone coming to heal the brokenhearted. And here we see Jesus saying, the time is now. I am the man who will bring healing to this broken, sinful world. And when you think about brokenhearted, <clears throat> I think of something, somebody that is crushed and shattered. When your heart is absolutely broken, and I think at some point in our lives, many of us have been at that point where you're absolutely broken. You know, we have our, <clears throat> our life is crushed and our lives feel like they're all just laying around us in pieces. And Jesus is the one that came to heal us from those um, hurts. You know, those people around us that can sympathize. Maybe they've gone through a similar experience. But I was blessed by what Jim shared in Sunday school a couple weeks ago when he said Jesus really does know. He actually does know exactly what you're going through. He was tempted in all points like us. So when you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling crushed and you feel like your life is in pieces, Jesus actually gets it. You know, we can try when our friends are going through a tough time, but we can't know exactly how they are feeling. You know, Jesus felt the sting of rejection, the mockery of being born to a virgin mother, and being forsaken by those who were his closest friends, and then hanging on a cross between some criminals, even though he was the only perfect man ever to walk the face of the earth. You know, Jesus can bring healing to our hearts, while others around us might not be able to see or feel our pain exactly. Jesus wants to come alongside of us and bring healing to our hearts. <coughs> in uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25, the Apostle Peter references Jesus' suffering in, in, um, when he was talking to, to the Christians that were suffering persecution. And he says, by Jesus' stripes we were healed. By the punishment, by the sacrifice of Jesus, we were able to have ultimate healing in our hearts and that were crushed by sin. And then the last point I want to look at is Jesus became because of the love of God. And if someone was to ask us to describe the love of God, how would you explain that to someone? And for in scripture, I want to, you know, share a very familiar verse, John 3, 16. It gives us a glimpse into God's love. And I think that is why this verse is so popular it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then also Romans 5.8 is another description of God's love. <coughs> for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. <coughs> yet preadventure for a good man would some die, even dare to die. But God commendeth his love Toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The love of God for mankind <clears throat> was so great and so wonderful that he was willing to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to the world to reveal himself to us. In Romans here, we see that he did it while we were still sinners. He didn't do it for his friends and family and <clears throat> those that he treated him well, but he did it while we were yet sinners. And because of God's love, Jesus came to this world and demonstrated for us and set an example for us in the ways of God. He showed by his own actions and his life the ways of truth and holiness. You know, we live in a broken and sinful world where in our humanity we naturally live for ourselves in ways that focus on ourselves. In the process, we damage many relationships and others and God. But as the love of God was revealed to us through <coughs> Jesus and as we accept that love, healing can flow through our lives. And to demonstrate that, I just wanted to share two stories with you, and I might abbreviate this some um, so I don't cough too much. But many of you, and, and I was as I was thinking about this story, I was like, some of you younger ones aren't going to remember this. You've probably heard about it, but you won't remember it. <clears throat> but just a little over 16 years ago, many of you remember the, the uh, Nickel Mines tragedy in Pennsylvania where five young girls were shot by someone who came into their school. And I just want to read for you the testimonies <clears throat> from the the family of the the guy that did the the shooting. A Ro, I just read here. It says Robert's family spokesman said an Amish neighbor comforted the Robert's family hours after the, the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. <coughs> the Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, parents, and par parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms, reporting reportedly for as long as an hour to comfort him. The Amish also established a charitable fund for the family of the shooter, and about 30 members of their community attended Robert's funeral. And Maria Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few who were invited to the funeral of the victims. <clears throat> Maria Roberts, the wife of Charles Roberts, who was the shooter, wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbors thanking them for their forgiveness, grace, and mercy. She wrote, your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately needed. Gifts you have given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we, are, we sincerely thank you. And the reason I was reminded of this story was somebody was sharing about they, they traveled to Europe two years after this incident. And in downtown London, people were asking them about this incident. They... They were asking, do you know the Amish of nickel mines? And here was, um, like, as we were talking in our Sunday school lesson this morning, Jim said that we not only need to have the knowledge, but we need to have the practice. Here were people that were demonstrating the love and forgiveness of Christ to the world. It went around the world, and it was just, that challenged me again as I remember that story. The second story I want to share with you is a man by the name of Robert Rule. He was the father of Linda Rule, who was murdered by Gary Ridgway, who was called the Green River Killer. In mid-1980s, there was many women who went missing and were murdered in Seattle area of Washington State. 
these cases went unsolved for about 20 years before DNA linked the victims to the man named Gary Ridgway. In the end, Gary Ridgway pleaded guilty to 48 murders and later admitted that the numbers were probably closer to 70. <clears throat> At the trial where he was sentenced to 48 consecutive life terms in prison, the victim's family read the impact statements to the courtroom. Many of these family members expressed severe hatred and disgust and, and condemning him to hell for the, the things that he had done to them. And this is understandable coming from, in, you know, from our human perspective. But I want to read to you one, the testimony of one man who was there that day. His daughter had been murdered by Gary. This is a quote from, from uh, Robert Rule. Mr. Ridgway, there are people who hate you. I am not one of them. I forgive you for what you have done. You have made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and that is what God says to do, and that is to forgive. And he doesn't just say to forgive certain people. He says to forgive all. So you are forgiven, sir. As Robert shared, as Robert shared this statement, Gary was moved by it. He had sat through many of the previous statements that had condemned him and, and you know, showed hatred for him. He had sat there pretty much unmoved, but as this man shared his testimony, he started wiping his eyes. He was moved by this testimony of forgiveness. There is true power in forgiveness, and Jesus coming because of his love is the one who gave us the power to do that. And on our own strength, we are not able to do that. It's only through Jesus Christ. And so I was again challenged by that Jesus coming in his love, sharing that love with us, that we would allow that to flow through us so that people can see Christ in us. And I think that will share a very powerful testimony. So in closing, I just want to challenge you again as we go through these next few weeks to think about why Jesus came. What does it mean to you? For many of us, it's probably going to be different reasons. Different reasons will <clears throat> impact us more than others. Um, but I just, again, challenge you to... Um, Think about Christ, think about why he came, and accept his love in your life and let it flow through your life to those around you. So at this time, can we stand for prayer? And um, Mel, do you want to lead us in a closing prayer? And then Chad, could you lead us in a closing song after that? Thank you for the, the love that